Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. What does it mean for you and I to live lives of service? And today we're going to see in Luke chapter 22 that Jesus is going to couch this conversation on service in a way that doesn't deal with the pragmatic side of it, but really deals with the heart issue behind it. And so today, and where Jesus is going to leverage a conversation about greatness, he's going to point us to what true greatness is. We know that in our culture, we have a lot of conversations about greatest, greatest movie, greatest athlete, greatest president. We could go on and on. I felt like an accomplished father the other night, just this week. Had, you know, they didn't know I was preaching this, but I was sitting in our living room and I heard our 10-year-old, who he is my super sports fanatic. They all like it, but he's really in. And I heard him in his bedroom with Abby trying to convince her how foolish it was that people believe that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. I'm like, what in the world? Like, I've not even had that conversation with him. I don't know where he's heard it, who he's had it with. He's right. But... Uh, <laughs> Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. Uh, but he, and of course, I, you know, I couldn't see Abby. I could just hear, but I'm sure she was in there just thrilled with the conversation. You know, she didn't give a rip, right? But, uh, but, but he was convinced, right? Michael Jordan is the greatest, right? I don't think he could pick Michael Jordan out of a lineup, but he was convinced Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time, right? So we, we have those conversations about other people and other things, but here's the reality. Oftentimes we live like we're the greatest. What does that mean? It means that we put ourselves at the center of our world and everything and everyone revolves around us. And it's in the context of that attitude that was being displayed by the disciples that Jesus is going to leverage, I think, an important conversation for us about what greatness really looks like. So I want to invite you to stand with me. Luke chapter 22, we're going to begin in verse 24. We're going to stand to honor the reading of God's word. Luke writes, Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. It is not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I'm among you as one who serves. You are those who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Let's pray together. God, as we come to this moment, we recognize that, Lord, this is more than just a mere man giving a speech. But Lord, this is a moment where we're positioning ourselves to hear from you. And God, we know with confidence we will hear from you today, God, because we've read your word. But we also believe that Spirit of God, that you leverage your word in moments like this to speak clearly to us, even in a personal way, God, about what you would have for us. And so God, in this moment, would you help us to have a teachable spirit? By your grace, would you allow us to um, 
to be able to rule out any obstacles that would be in our way this morning of what you have for us. And that we would come to this moment, Lord, with a posture that says, Lord, we want to hear from you. And Lord, we want to obey you. And so, God, we give you this time today. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. The pursuit of Jesus, again, is what this series has been all about, of what it looks like for us to pursue him. We've talked about different ways that that pursuit is expressed, and today is no different in understanding that a pursuit of Jesus is expressed in living a life of kingdom service. A significant part of us living out that life that Jesus called us to is a life of service. You know, we talked about that last week, this idea of what it means to to pursue our purpose is to be a disciple, right, to emulate him, but it's also to make disciples, right? To help people take their next step in their faith journey. Interesting point last week, if you were here, you know, we showed it by video and uh, we filmed it uh, at one of our church members, a pond that they had behind their house. And uh, one of my friends was sitting in Tennyson uh, last week, kind of sitting at the back on the back wall of Tennyson. And as that video was playing, he said, I started looking in the atrium where the playscape area is for kids. He said, I started looking in there to find the birds, He didn't realize the birds were coming from the video. And so he's like, I got my kids. We were trying to find the birds in the atrium. We couldn't find the birds. So no birds today in the chapel. All right, you don't have to worry about that. What you do have to worry about is it's not a video, so I can go as long as I want. All right, but but that idea of our purpose, right? And it's helping others to take their next step, right? It's, It's this lifestyle really of service. And so today as we navigate this, I want us to begin, first of all, just understanding that pursuing service is redefining greatness. Pursuing service is redefining greatness. We understand, again, as this conversation about service, it is couched in this, this dispute, this argument that the disciples are having that we see in verse 24, right? It arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. Now, in some ways, what is happening here, what is unfolding with the disciples is surprising yet not surprising, all right? Number one, it's surprising uh, because of the context of which uh, it's coming from. If, if you have your Bible in front of you, or if you're looking on your phone, you can see right above that, we have this significant moment of the Lord's Supper, right? Now, if you're not familiar with that, this is the, they're, they're celebrating the Passover meal as the Jews had done for hundreds of years. And, and on this night, it was very different because Jesus leveraged the Passover meal to show that the Passover was all about him, that he truly was the lamb who had been slain so that judgment could be passed over his people, Right? And so he talks about uh, the, the bread, right, and, and the blood, the bread that, that, was, that was broken and, and the blood that was spilled. And, and he, he's telling them, listen, all this is being done for you. I, I, I'm giving of myself for you. I'm giving myself for our people. It, it is this posture of selflessness, of self-emptying, right? This is, this is all for you. And, and, and we see that from that moment, they come to this place. In fact, you see in verse 24, then a dispute also arose. So chronologically, it's, then coming out of that, what do we find? From that moment of our rabbi, our teacher is telling us how he's going to give himself away. And now we're talking about what others can do for us because we're the center of the universe. And so this dispute arises. And so in some way, it's, it's, it's surprising. Like, how could you go from that moment with Jesus? We're talking about giving himself away to already having this dispute among yourself. But in another sense, it's not surprising. 
And if you're familiar with the Gospels and the story of the disciples, you know that this is a recurring theme in their lives, right? Now, you have other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the Synoptic Gospels. Many believe that Matthew and Luke, that they actually use Mark's writing as one of their sources. So here's how that plays out, is that at times you have these different accounts that are found in all three of the Gospels. And they're all a little bit different. Doesn't mean that they're wrong, but it's like if you had three eyewitnesses for an event, you would have three different perspectives, right? And so you, you have these stories that unfold in all three Gospels. So at times we can get confused of, well, gosh, did that happen three different times? Or is this the same occurrence that happened? They're just recording in three different ways. And no doubt that can happen in this conversation about who is the greatest. And the reason is, is because we see multiple moments in the synoptic, synoptic Gospels that are happening. But scholars are confident that what we find here in Luke chapter 22 is not the same occurrence that we have seen in other places. What does that tell us? It means that they, on a consistent basis, were having this dispute. It wasn't a one-time only event. In fact, we know one time where they go to Jesus directly. Another time, uh, the, the sons of Zebedee, they send mama. Hey, go, go see if we can sit at his right hand, right? Why? Because they're considered, hey, in the coming kingdom, are we going to be the greatest? That's what they're asking. And so it is surprising in one sense because they've just heard Jesus talk about the selflessness of, of his mission and of his life. And at the same time, they could not get over themselves. Does that sound familiar? Don't elbow the person next to you. I'm not talking about them, all right? Why? Because we all have a propensity, don't we? To every day wake up and decide today's going to be about me. And everything I experience and everyone I encounter, all of this is going to be about me. But when we look at Scripture, we see that Scripture is very clear about this posture or this heart that is self-seeking, that, that, that is um, self-serving. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, The Lord Almighty has a day in store for the proud and the lofty. Romans chapter 2, verse 8, but wrath and indignation to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth, but are obeying unrighteousness. Right? Th those are strong words, aren't they? Right? We know James tells us what? God opposes the proud. Can I tell you a bad place to be? In opposition to God. He opposes the proud. So scripture is very clear for us about God's heart, his belief towards those that would live with a self-seeking, self-serving posture. So what does that mean for us today? Well, here's what I hope it means for you, is that it causes you in this moment to say, I want to lean in very, very carefully and very significantly to what Jesus is going to say here. Because what we recognize is that all of us, doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. doesn't matter how many steps you've taken in your faith journey. Every day we battle this self-seeking desire in our heart, this self-serving desire in our heart. And I hope that we lean in today because as we look at Scripture, we see not just the disciples that are showing this heart, but we look at people that oftentimes, or people that oftentimes would say are heroes of the Bible, someone like King David, who and for many, he is the hero of the Old Testament. And yet we find moments in King David's life where there's this self-seeking posture. Or King Solomon. Right? We could go on and on throughout Old Testament and New Testament to see moments where this attitude exists. And, and, and not just that this is something that impacts everybody. Another reason that we should lean in heavily and, 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 and consider Jesus' words very seriously today is because sometimes the outworking of this heartbeat that is self-serving comes out in very honorable ways. 
Right? I mean, you think about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the spiritual leaders of Israel, right? Jesus said you're like whitewashed tombs. What is he implying? He's saying, listen, on the outside, you look like you have it all together, but on the inside is death. What is he implying there? Well, Jesus knows their hearts. And what he knows about them is, listen, on the outside, they're expressing this morality that would have been envied by people. In many ways, it was. They were the poster child of the community. They were the poster child of faith and how they observed the Torah, how they observed all the commands, right? How how they lived their life. But what Jesus understood is, listen, you have all this on the outside, but what's on the inside? It's a self-seeking heart. It's a desire for greatness, and you're leveraging the people of God to achieve it for yourself. And so it's a strong warning for us today. And so when we consider that this idea of service and living out a life of service, it is redefining greatness. It is pushing against the grain of this heart that puts self at the center. And so today we... We come to this text and we see the contrast that Jesus is going to give. And I think this is significant because in response to this self-seeking attitude or this self-seeking heart, the response to what is great for Jesus is noteworthy. Because he doesn't respond here as they're disputing what greatness is. He doesn't point to morality. I think, I think if it were me, that's probably what I would point to, that the person who is the greatest is the person who has the highest morals, Right? Morals are not a bad thing. I hope you don't disagree with me on that. All right, we've got another conversation we need to have if you do, right? Morality's a good thing, right? He doesn't point to intellect here, right? Again, in the rabbi-disciple relationship that is going on here, right? The valued rabbi oftentimes was the one with the most intellect, the one who knew the scriptures the best, the one who understood traditions the best, the one who understood the different interpretations that were given by different rabbis, right? It was that amount of intellect that would, that would um, promote a disciple, not just, I think, in the views of the rabbi, of the teacher, but in the community itself. And so in response to greatness, Jesus doesn't point to intellect. He doesn't point to wisdom. He doesn't point to physical statue. For Jesus, in response to greatness... He says, you want to talk about greatness. Let's not talk about a self-seeking posture. Let's talk about a self-emptying one. So that leads us to the heart of this text in verse 25 and 27. It's another pursuing service is it's holding a kingdom perspective. And that's what he's going to show here is that in the world's eyes, this posture of self-seeking, of desiring greatness for ourselves and it being all about ourselves is in strong contrast, significant contrast to the perspective and the posture of the kingdom and the kingdom citizens. So he says here in verse 25, but he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. So what he's doing here is he is starting with this place of, hey, let's make an observation about our society. Let's make an observation about our culture. And then we're going to see he's going to come right behind that and give two examples of how this plays out in their day-to-day life. So he goes to this idea of the kings of the Gentiles. In fact, if you look at verse 25, you see over and over again, he's going to use these words speaking of power and authority. The idea is a top-down approach to life in which the person on top leverages those that are below them, beneath them for their good. So we see he's using words kings, lord, the phrase over them. In fact, the word that he's going to use here, benefactors, is significant for us. All right, I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But we see here this top-down approach to life with the goal of always being at the top. Now hear me today. 
Jesus is not pushing back against leadership, and he's not pushing back against authority, all right? When leadership and authority are done in a way that aligns with God's heart and kingdom values, leadership and authority are a blessing in our lives. For some of us, that may be hard to amen, right? But it is true, right? Some of us have had the blessing of sitting under godly leadership and godly authority, and it can be a blessing in our life. So he's not pushing back on this idea of leadership and authority. He's pushing back on this idea of leadership and authority that comes from a heart that is all about self, right? And so he says here uh, something fascinating. He says here that, that, that they lord over them, they domineer over them, and it goes so far, listen to this, that those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. Now, that word benefactor is a word that is used, uh, in fact, in inscriptions on epitaphs of leaders in Rome and in Greece from this time through antiquity. It's one of about five or six common phrases that would be used, and it was a word. For us, we hear benefactor, and we just think, oh, yes, someone who would benefit from something, maybe. But the word has a strong connotation of almost godlike, right? A hero. So think about what it's saying here. In fact, the word that he says here that they are called, it could be used in the middle or, or passive tense. And, and here's what that means. It can go either way. Either he's saying that what they do is they get the people below them to call them a benefactor. How gross is that, right? right how self-seeking, how arrogant that you would require those that are below you to say, you're going to call me a hero. I'm determining what I'm going to be referred to. I'm going to determine that you are going to honor my, what I believe status is. You're going to call me this. But it could be that the tense it is using here is not that. It's simply saying they refer to themselves as this. Either way, you just see this self-serving, arrogant heart, don't you? Look at what Jesus says. So that's the observation he makes from culture, right? That those in positions of authority, they leverage those below them to serve themselves. But then look at what he says here in verse 26. It is not to be like that among you. There's the contrast. That may be how things are in the world. But as a part of my kingdom, as a disciple of my teaching, that is not how it is. In fact, in the original, there's no verb there. It just says, not like that among you. He's speaking there to their character, not just their action. He's saying, this is not how kingdom citizens live. This is not how they behave. And he gives here two different examples of that. One is the idea of of relationship to age and birth order. And the other is going to be in a a service setting of a table. So the first one we see here uh, in verse 26, right? On the contrary... Whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest. Many of you are aware of this, but in that culture, right, birth birth order was significant. Significant even in value to the family. And so if you were the youngest, you were the lowest of the totem pole. Not just chronologically, you were just the lowest of the low. Now, in my family, I have three boys and a little girl. I can promise you this. She ain't the bottom of the totem pole, all right? But, But in that culture, in that culture, birth order was much more significant than it is to us. And here's, here's what I want you to see. So Jesus is making this observation, right, that, that they would have known, the disciples would have known, oh yeah, the youngest is the one of lowest status in the family. Okay, they were the ones who got the lawnmower out and did all the mowing, all right? They were the lowest. But notice what he says here about kingdom principle and this idea of our heart and our posture. 
Look at me in verse 26. He says, you should become like the youngest. This, this is not an issue of innate status as, as a believer, you are the bottom of the totem pole. No, we know that we have value because we're created in the image of God and we have been redeemed by Christ's sacrifice for our sin, right? This is not an issue of our status. This is an issue of choice. This is an issue of understanding the gospel in a sense that I don't have to live my life with a desire for people to serve me so that I might have value and identity and status. I don't need people to call me things so I feel good about myself. Who I am is not dictated by others. Who I am is dictated by who God is in my life and who I am is being created in his image. And because that is true, it means that the posture of my heart can change from being self-seeking to one that is self-emptying. And that there can be that moment of me pursuing the Lord and taking my next steps and taking them in a manner that there's a point that comes that says, you know what? I'm going to choose to become the youngest. I'm going to choose to become the one who no longer needs everyone to serve me. But because I know who I am in Christ and because I understand the truth of the gospel, it doesn't have to be about me. And that I can, I can empty myself to willingly serve others for their benefit, ultimately for God's glory. And so he gives it here, this picture of age, but then also a position of a server and the one who is serving. I'm sorry, the picture of one at the table and the one who is serving. We see this in verse 27. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? You may remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, the arrogance of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaders, right? And they love to sit at the place of prominence at the banquet, Right? They love to be the ones reclining around the table. There's no doubt in that culture, you wanted to be the one reclining at the table, not serving the table. But Jesus says, wait a second, who is the one of honor? They would have said, listen, the one of value, the one of status is the one reclining around the table. And look at what he does. He points to himself into verse 27. But I am among you as the one who serves. He's saying this is the way that it is in the kingdom. And it's the way that it is in the kingdom, and it is being shown to you by the king himself. They understood Jesus to be the greatest. They had seen the miracles that he had done. They had seen the way that he had taught. They understood Jesus was the greatest. And in that point, Jesus says, listen, what is the example that I have set for you as the greatest? It's the one who comes and serves. And I believe that they saw that most clearly the night that he took the towel. and He washed their feet, that of a servant. And so when we serve, we're, we're falling right in line with our Savior. We're living out this life in a way that he did. And, and remember, right, Jesus said, I am doing what the Father has told me to do. The things I do is what the Father's told me to do. The things that I say, I, I'm, I'm doing what, what, what the Father, I'm saying the things that the Father has told me to say. And so that brings us to, to our last point is that pursuing service is living out the heart of God. Right? So Jesus is, is, is doing what the Father has told him to do. We know the mission that he was sent on from heaven was to come and to seek to save the lost. It was to, to rescue humanity from their sin. And in doing so, it was not coming with pomp and circumstance. There is a day then that will come when he comes again, but it was coming in humility with the heart of a servant. Right? I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so when we emulate 
him. When we emulate the king and living out kingdom principles, ultimately we're living out the heart of God. And I think there's a significant moment that takes place here in verse 28 and through, uh, 28 through 30 that oftentimes I think is overlooked in the relationship of Jesus and the disciples. Verse 28, you were those who stood by me in my trials. And I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now again, it's easy for us to look at the disciples and see moment after moment after moment where they get it wrong, moment after moment where they do not understand what Jesus is talking about, about this kingdom and this eternal kingdom, right? They, 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 they continue to miss it over and over again. But Jesus here is going to honor them. He's going to do what is so often hard for us to do as we look at the disciples because it's easy for us to pick out the negative. But what Jesus is going to say here is, listen, you have stood with me in my trials. And the tense in which he's writing this is past tense. So we know that the cross, we know that trial is coming, but he's not even referencing that. He's just saying as as he looks back over the three years of his public ministry and these guys following him around trying to figure out what this kingdom life is all about, Jesus recognized if nothing else, you guys have stood by me. In those moments when he would, think of John chapter 8, right? When, when he refers to himself as I am, and it says that the, 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 the Pharisees and Sadducees, the spiritual leaders, they go nuts and they look for stones. They, they, they want to kill him. And he slips out. Jesus in that moment recognizing when all those moments of disruption, all those moments of, you, you just continue to stay with me, right? He's honoring them for their faithfulness. And in that place, he makes this statement. I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Here's a moment where where we go back to the mission of Christ and what God had sent him to do, right? I'm doing what the father has commanded me to do. I'm saying what the father has commanded me to say, right? The father, in, in, in a sense, right, has, has sent him on mission. To be about God's heart. And now here, Jesus is going to use that same idea into our lives. That when we are living a life of service, an emptying of self for the benefit of others, for the glory of God, when we are living that, we are walking in lockstep with God's heart and his mission for our lives and for his kingdom. And so he says here, listen, and this is covenantal language that he's using here, this idea of bestowing. Your translation may say confer. And he says that when we're doing this, when we're living this life of service, he says here, so that, right, in response to us living that out, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. Here's the picture that he's giving. Listen, there is a day that is coming for those that are kingdom citizens that are living this life of self-emptying for the benefit of others. There's a day that is coming when that honor will come. At the consummation of all things, when Jesus returns and he makes all things that are wrong, makes them right and restores all things to himself, he says on that day, for those that have been serving, for those that have chosen to become the youngest, on that day, for the disciples, listen, on that day you will eat at my table. It's significant as you go back to look before this moment as Jesus at the Lord's Supper in Luke's account, he told them, he said, listen, I will not eat of the bread until the kingdom comes. And he says, I will not drink of the cup until the kingdom comes. But on that moment when he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup, he says, you're going to be sitting at the table with me. 
What an encouragement for us today to know that, listen, we can live a life of service. We don't have to live our life in a self-seeking way that is constantly desiring to leverage people for our status, for our good, for our egos. We don't have to do that because we know who we are in Christ and we know that our reward is coming. And when we live a life of service, we are living out the heart of God. So let me give you a couple questions just for application today to consider this posture that Christ calls us to and the outworkings of what that looks like in our life. First question is this. Do you have a correct understanding of greatness? Maybe today the question is, do you need to be reminded of the correct understanding of greatness? Because again, it doesn't matter if you've been a believer one year, one month, um, five decades. The reality is that every day we wake up with that desire of our flesh to say, today's going to be about me. And what Jesus would say is, for the kingdom citizen, every day it's that choice that I'm going to become. I am going to become the youngest. Because here's the truth. I can't can't know with confidence when I walk into a room that I'm the smartest in the room. Maybe if I walked into an elementary class, to a kindergarten class, and the teacher walked out of the room, I might have a shot, right? But none of us can ever walk into a room with the confidence that we're the smartest in the room. Right? We can't walk into a room confident that we're the wisest in the room. I for sure can never walk into a room confident that I'm the best looking in the room. But here's what I can absolutely be confident of. That I can walk into a room, whether it's into a room like this, whether it would be into your uh, staff meeting at your place of work, whether it's walking into your home, I can know with confidence that I can walk into a room and say, you know what, I'm here more than anyone else just to serve just to give my life to be a blessing to others. Now, that's not a statement of arrogance. That's a statement of choosing to become the youngest, of saying that I'm not here for me. I'm here for the blessing of others to emulate the heart of Christ. And so today, do you just need to be reminded of what that desire for greatness is? That, listen, when I walk into a room, if I want to be great, I'm not walking in the room saying, what can this room do for me? But what can I do for this room and for those that God has put in my presence? Secondly, Do you have a place inside this body of Christ where you're serving the table? Have you found your place inside the body of Christ where you are serving the table? For some of us, this message today, it's really just wind in your sail to say, hey, keep going. Keep serving. Your serving is making a difference and you are emulating the heart of Christ and his kingdom. But for some of us, listen, we're so thrilled that you're part of of, of, of what we do here at First West. But at the end of the day, It stops with this moment of you just coming and being a part of our services. And hear me today, I'm so thrilled that you're here. Please don't hear me rebuking you for being here at our services. I'm not. But understand the picture that we see in Scripture, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is that we're we're members of a body and we're here for brothers and sisters to encourage one another. And so maybe today the the, the outworking of of what this means for you is that, hey, I I need to find my spot where I'm, I'm serving the table. I'm serving my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I, I mean, even today, we've been served by, uh, by these musicians and leveraging their gifts and, and, and in this season and doing six services every Sunday. For a lot of these volunteers that were serving once a month, for the next six months, they've said, we'll serve every Sunday because we know that that's needed. We're, we, we've been incredible recipients of their servant heart and willingness to, to empty self, right? We're served by greeters that when we walk in, give us a smile and, hey, we're glad that you're here to know that you're valued, you're here. Right? For some of us, you're sitting in here uninterrupted by your kids because they're in, in, in life group right now with life group 
teachers that are pouring into them and giving them the gospel and giving them gospel truth, right? And so we're being served in that manner. And so for some of us, we just need to do that introspection and say, you know what, there's a lot of people that are serving me here. How am I doing my part to serve others? And it's not just inside the walls, it's outside the walls as well. How are we leveraging our lives and our community and our neighborhoods to say, I'm willing to empty self for the benefit of others to the glory of God. Maybe today for some of you, this is just that reminder to keep going, to get, to, to get off the bench. Right? I've been doing this long enough now in conversations with people where they say, oh, you know, I've just I've served for so many years. I've done this for decades. I'm just going to let someone else do it now. And hear me, there is a place, hear me clearly, for some of us in here, we have served not just this church, maybe other churches, we've served faithfully for decades. And for some of you, you recognize your assignment has changed, right? Your, your assignment looks, you're still serving in unique ways in our church. You're still being a blessing to those in our church. It just looks different. But for some people, you've gotten to a place where you say, you know what, I've given enough. It's time for me just to receive. And listen, to the world, that might make sense, but to God's word, it doesn't. It, it flies in the face of the heart that Jesus is talking about here. So again, maybe for some of us, we decided that, listen, we're, we're going to sit on the bench for a little bit. And today, the Spirit of God is saying, hey, we're not sitting on the bench. You just get in a new position. And so my prayer today for you is that you would process, it, hey, what's that new position for me in this season of life where I can be serving the table? We want to give you a real practical takeaway for this. Hopefully you talked about it. For those of you in your life group, you talked about it today in life group. If not, you can talk about it next week. But on June 11th, we're going to have a serve day. As we're going to leverage our church and our life groups to go and to be a blessing to our community in a lot of different ways. And so uh, life groups, if you haven't had a chance to talk about that, we, you've got two weeks. We did that intentionally. You've got two weeks. Uh, so next Sunday, talk as a life group. We've got opportunities for you to even canvas, canvas neighborhoods for VBS, different avenues, soup kids. There's avenues out there, but we just want to give a practical day where we just say, you know what? We're going to go emulate the heart of Christ and serve our community in a variety of ways. All right? Let me finish with this. So in, um, in October, Gavin and I have shared this with some of you. Gavin and I had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. for a week. Uh, we made the decision as a family. One of the things we wanted to do, Abby and I felt was important, is that we wanted to give our kids an opportunity when they turn 13 uh, to say, you can go wherever you want in the lower 48. And uh, we're going to do one week of just dad and son, uh, or at one point it'll be mom and daughter, which I think they may take three weeks because I get one week, you know, with, with the three boys and then Abby will get three weeks with Karis. But, um, <clears throat> But, and, and listen, if your parents don't do that, they're not bad parents, okay? That's just a decision we made, okay? Uh, and and so, uh, so Gavin said, you want to go to Washington, D.C.? Great. So we went to D.C. for a week. We, I mean, we, put like, we walked like 50 miles that week. I mean, we walked everywhere, saw everything, did everything. But no doubt, one of the top things was Arlington National Cemetery. If you've been there before, you know that pictures don't do it justice as you stand there and you just look at all those white crosses and you know that that is not just... Uh, bodies, that, that, that is families, that is sacrifice. It's just amazing. And, and you go to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and you watch the Changing of the Guard, which is so meaning, meaningful and, and moving. Uh, but right there next to the Changing of the Guard is, is the tomb of, or, or the headstone of Audie Murphy. Now, some of you know that name really well, so you have never heard that name before, and that's okay. All right, Audie Murphy was the most decorated soldier in World War II. I believe 29 different medals and accommodations that he received for his time in the service in World War II. But his journey didn't stop there. He came back and became a movie star. He was the time man of the year. Um, most people probably know him more from his acting than they did even his military service. But the two were very much linked. Well, 
As we were there that day, we, in fact, they've made a path to Audie Murphy's headstone because so many people want to go see Audie Murphy's headstone. And so they, they made this nice path. And so we went and we saw it. Well, we continued this tour. And as we're going, our tour guide takes us to a section. I think it was 7A. And he said, I want to draw your attention to another headstone that you see here that really nobody's heard of. But it's a man whose story, he said, I think is even more compelling than Audie Murphy's. And he says, it's actually debated who has actually received more medals and who really should carry the title of most decorated soldier of World War II. And the guy's name is Matt Urban. And he said, let me tell you real quick about Matt's story. He said, Matt, entered, <clears throat> Matt was born in Buffalo, entered into the service. By the age of 24, he was leading his battalion, an incredible leader. He served in a lot of different campaigns in World War II. In fact, he received, listen to this, seven Purple Heart Awards. Seven. Seven times getting wounded and picking up his mat and saying, let's go. I want to get back in the foxhole with my brothers, right? Just incredible, incredible sacrifice and service. Well, at the end of the war, he finishes up his military service. He goes to Michigan and he gives his life to his community. He was the director of several different community centers. I see John Shepherdson there. He was with the Boys and Girls Club. Like he, he gave his life to his community. And in 1979, he had built a relationship with a guy uh, who had served in the army. And, 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 and this guy asked me, he's like, dude, how do you not have a medal of honor? He's like, I don't know. I just don't, you know. This guy says, I'm going to do something about it. And so he begins this process to, to have Matt Urban recognized for his service, for his valor, for his sacrifice. And as he submits this in 1979, what they find out is that the 1944 paperwork was submitted for him to receive the Medal of Honor, and it got lost. And for 36 years, here's this guy who had served his country in such an incredible, sacrificial way. And he just went on about life, serving his community. And so in 1979, this is submitted. They get it worked out. And in 1980, President Carter placed that Medal of Honor around his neck, finally giving him the recognition he deserved. That's the heart that Jesus is pointing to here. A life that says, I don't need the medals. I don't, I don't have to have the recognition. For Matt Urban, it was about a heart of service, whether he was serving his country or whether it was serving boys and girls in, in Monroe, uh, Michigan. It didn't matter. And my prayer for each of us today is we recognize what Christ has done for us and how the gospel is all about service, about him giving himself for us to be forgiven of our sin. That if we've said yes to the gospel and submitted and surrendered our life to him, who would we be to say yes to his self-emptying gospel? to live a life of self-seeking arrogance. The gospel says, no, we serve because he served us. And I pray that today we would step out of here taking our next step in our faith journey and thinking, you know what? Even through my service, I'm helping others take theirs. Would you bow your heads to me today? I don't know what your response is today. For some, you need to say yes to that self-emptying sacrifice of what Christ did on your behalf how he gave himself for you. And the great news is today, by faith, you can just say yes to him. You can submit your life by faith, trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection. Today, you can place your faith in him to know that you can be forgiven of your sin. You can be entered into his family. And to know that when that day comes, when he does come again and restores all things to himself, that you'll have a seat at the table too. And today, you can do that. 
Maybe today the Spirit of God has used this as a soft rebuke in your heart of just that recognition. Man, I've really been seeking self. I've been leveraging the people in my life. I've been leveraging the blessings in my life ultimately just to be about me. And today, the firm but soft spirit of God's voice is just saying, hey, it's time for us to consider what greatness is all about again. Or maybe today you've been running faithfully. You've been trying to serve your church. You've been trying to serve your community, your family, your neighborhood. And man, sometimes we just grow weary, don't we? And today the Spirit of God is just saying, hey, keep running. Keep running. You're living out the heart of God. Father, in this moment, we're so thankful how your word and how the Spirit, how it meets us right where we're at. And to even recognize from a moment over 2,000 years ago is a moment that is so relevant for us today. And while we might not find in our life moments where we're disputing with our friends who should be considered the greatest, what we know to be true is that for all of us, that same heart, that same posture exists in all of us. And God, I pray that we would see that the The antidote to that posture is one who is willing to choose to become the youngest. To take on the form of the servant, to be a blessing to others for your glory. And so God, whatever it is that you're doing in the hearts of those that are in this room or that are listening online, God, whatever it is, I I pray, Lord, that we would be be at a place of faith, of trusting you to take whatever step that is that we need to take today. And that God, that we would see that when we're living that life of service, we're helping others take theirs as well. So Lord, we're grateful for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope again that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.